friends, welcome to episode 60 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level. I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Um, I'm good. I've got uh, whiskey, so... <laughs> It's medicine. Daddy needs always, medicine. Always a, on the rocks. <laughs> and I mean literally rocks. I, I do have a whiskey rock in here, and it uh-huh. is mighty tasty. That's amazing. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. 60. 60. 60. Took us 60 to revisit something. 60 to revisit 60. something. And uh, so tonight we're going to be revisiting our topic. We're of... not doing this because we're bored or we ran out of material. No, 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 no. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I think as it was honestly a good time to... Uh, to kind of come back around to the topic. Um, yeah. No, I agree. If, I agree. First off, it's been a while. Uh, we've grown. We have. You've all grown. With us, and we appreciate that. It, and, our our uh, group has grown. Yeah. We've, yeah. Uh, we've learned a lot and yeah. such like that. And uh, uh, I was talking to Sean the other day mm-hmm. um, about uh, Wheel of Time. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Wheel of Time TV show, um, I believe it's going to be going up on Amazon. Yeah. Is, is in production. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's, he's a huge Wheel of Time fan. Uh, has a uh, um, handful of YouTube uh, channels that he watches for people that are in the know and always talking about lore and plot exposition and stuff of like that. And now, of course, with all the TV show being made, a lot of production buzz about oh, that. Oh, God, yeah. Totally. And uh, a while back, we had uh, – he's, he's taken a couple stabs at running uh, Wheel of Time as an RPG uh, we actually got uh, one or two game sessions in using Fate um, as well to uh, to try to play it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's always kind of this big question of, like, how do you represent certain things as, you know, that are, are intrinsic to the Wheel of Time's mm-hmm. world building mm-hmm. in an RPG sense mm-hmm. and carry that flavor, make it feel like world, you know, like Wheel of Time. Right. And still represent it fairly and have good game mechanics about it and such like that that are balanced. And right. Um, there was a Wheel of Time supplement that came out for Dungeons and Dragons. Or for, well, for I, the D20 I, system. I, I remember the D21. Yep. I do. Um, and like I said, he he, uh, he was actually running his in Fate uh, with some uh, readjusted rules that we had kind of plucked out of the Dresden Files uh, magic system. Uh, because the uh, magic in Wheel of Time is elemental based. Earth, air, water, fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the, the, uh, female casters, uh, can cast air and water magic, mm-hmm. whereas the, uh, the men can cast, uh, fire and earth. Okay. Okay. So we basically plucked those elemental magics out and kind of put them into the fate system. Okay. Since it was already in fate fourth edition or whatever. Sure, it was. sure. So, you know, it, it, it worked. It worked well enough, mm-hmm. but it kind of got us onto the lot, the, the bigger question of like, if you are going to take a a book, you know, system like that, a, a, mm-hmm. a world world building from a, from a story, from an existing, from an existing story, material, book. sort yeah. of material that is not RPG based. Right. By, at its core. How do you do that? And what game system do you use that? And then we started getting a discussion about like, well, do you want it to be cinematic or do you want it to be adventuresome? Cause I mean, if you're yeah. going to be doing it in D and D, D and D's got a very you know dungeony, adventury, tactical, tactical feel. sort of feel to it. And yeah. do you think that that's what Wheel of Time is? You know, and that's where the where the discussion came from. And that's right. when I was kind of thinking, like, you know, maybe it's time to come back around to this. Okay, okay. And talk about how you wield a game system to produce a specific effect. No, I think that's I think that's a great frame of reference. I think it's a great place to start. I think a lot of. Um, a lot of early people who want to do role playing start from that aspect of I have an idea, tr- probably off an existing storyline or something. Mm-hmm. I know there was a point in time when I wanted to take and run a game based on the TV show Dead Like uh, Dead Like Me. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, just because I thought the idea of having players as Reapers and you know it it uh-huh. it, it came to a very uh, shadow runny kind of story where you have. A constant quest coming from an invisible Johnson who, you know, presents you with a job right. and you have to finish your work. Because you have to reap those souls. Right. Otherwise, you they have don't a job. die right. and shit goes And everybody, everybody's yeah. there for a specific reason, and that is to be done with the job, uh-huh. you know, kind of a thing. Because eventually, it'll be your last, and then you get to move on, you know. And so it fit a lot of the Shadowrun buttons as far as design. Yeah. yeah Not necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. the system, but the same kind of design. I thought, I thought that'd be kind of neat, but at the same time, I was like... How do you get the feel of that story mm-hmm. 
into a system. Like, what kind of system would you pick for that kind of a story? And a lot of it comes back to, okay, so we have an idea. The question is, do we have a feel of how we want that to run? And I think over the past year, we've talked a lot about um, coming from a storyteller's perspective and listening to your players and what kind of stories they want to have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you've got a storyteller who might want to tell a, a grand story or a short little vignette story, but they don't necessarily know, they don't necessarily have how it's going to play out moment to moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's where you get, is it a tactical game? Or is it going to be move by move? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. Almost like you get down to the minutia of the Warhammer kind of RPG, where literally it's, you know, every coordinated attack is move by move. Yeah, yeah. You know, which D&D does a great job of. Whereas you have something that's more of a scene by scene story base on the far end of the spectrum, and you're talking something closer to fate or um, apocalypse systems, uh, where each moment is more just a description and a little bit of randomness thrown into it to determine some of the events. Uh, and, and moments in those events when a trigger is set and somebody is, is going there. Mm-hmm. So you've got a long spectrum of between tactics and non-tactics, but at the same time, you have a top and bottom of that of dramatic, where mm-hmm. you have at the top of the scale very heroic people who always are going to win in some way. Yeah. And then the bottom of the scale is... Your zeros uh, to heroes sort of scale of like, you're Bob, you're a convenience store clerk. Well, no, I was actually going to go the bottom of that scale is uh, is dread. Oh. Where, where your oh, character where, is expendable. <laughs> where you're literally the prey. Correct. You're not, even, you're not even the hero of the story. Right. The chances of you moving forward is irrelevant to the progression of the story. Mm-hmm, You'll mm-hmm. just create another character that fits in, and now you keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a good, like, Aliens to a Degree is that story. You know, where you just keep inserting. Now, granted, there's one character who's kind of carried through the whole thing, which is great. Yeah. But at the same time, even that character has been replaced. Yeah. A few times. Um, you know, unbeknownst to the, the the viewer at some, you know, if you're just watching at a cursory level, you don't necessarily recognize it because it's the same actress. But at the same time, that story is a dread story. Mm-hmm. Bad things happen to people, but the story continues. Yeah. Um, its main character is getting picked off constantly. Right. Yeah. Whereas at the top of the scale, you have your typical blockbuster movie where people don't die. They disappear for maybe 14 scenes and then come out of nowhere out of a broom closet. And you're like, oh, my God, they're alive. Mm-hmm. You know, and sure, they're alive. That was expected. They might be a little dusty and dirty. You right, know? right. But they're, they're there. Even villains can't die. You know, they come back in a different form or some other thing. They get subdued and arrested or whatever. But yeah, never, never killed. Right. So you've got this kind of, you know, uh, diamond pattern, if you will, of where do you sit in this chart? Mm-hmm. And does what kind of systems does that fit? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, th- I think you need to find your starting point first. I agree. Uh, and, you know, and kind of go from there. So I guess there's, there's two real, like, um, or possibly three, okay. three, three different starting points that you're probably looking at. Um, sure. so, uh, are you building a game for a specific group? Sure. Okay. So you have a core group of players mm-hmm. that you know, and you work with, and they've all kind of got the types of games that they like to play. You've got a feel for them. They've got a feel for you. Right. So if that's the starting point that you're going for, for there, um, you know, maybe you're not looking to experiment. Maybe you're not, you don't, you don't even have a story in mind. You just want to play something. Okay. If you happen to know these players all like GURPS or all like D&D or whatever, they may, you know, that that's maybe where you're going to start. You're not even going to start with, I want to tell a story about X, Y, or Z. Right. But you may just start with, I'm going to play a game with, you know, Bob, Jim, and Carol and go from there you know and bob and jim have played D for years and carol's mm-hmm. always been interested yeah so let's you know we're gonna play D. yeah that's how you pick your system um on the other hand uh we talk a lot about you know wanting to st- wanting to tell a specific story mm-hmm. uh we talked a-, a lot about wanting to tell a specific story that wasn't already codified into a game world Right. Maybe you've created your own. Maybe it's based off of a book series you like. Maybe it's a movie you liked or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe you're drawing inspiration from a lot of different places. But you then need to do that thinking about like, okay, so how are you going to emulate the idea in your head and get that to come out as game mechanics and a fun game for everybody at your table? Right. Okay. 
And the last starting point is, are you gearing up to play an existing property? Right. Okay. Forgotten Realms or right. Adventure. Like, so, like, Forgotten Realms, Faerun, that's an mm-hmm. existing property. Now, it's written for D&D. It's a D&D property. Mm-hmm. I submit to you, you don't need to play it with D&D. 100% agree with you. Because you, it's a world. You you could literally do it in, in City of Mist or, or Urban Shadows just as easily. You could. You could. You could run a real cool, like, Dragon Heist, Water, dra- Waterdeep Dragon Heist game in Urban Shadows. Yeah, because there's, I mean, yes, there are, if you know the city well enough, you could, you could literally design the city off of that. But there's nothing to say that you can't take the map of Waterdeep and put your own play, things in areas. Dungeon World. You know, and just say, yeah. we're going to do these things. And Dungeon World's another good example, or I think. Or Fate. Yeah. You know, or GURPS. Well, yep. I mean, GURPS for, a while, GURPS for a while made its made its its trade on making GURPS supplements for mm-hmm. existing properties. One hundred percent, I agree. All over the place. I mean, there's yeah. there's, there's, there's probably hundreds well, of books. Palladium at this point. was a universal fantasy system. Yeah, you know, so you could play anything in it, Dragonlance or whatever. It didn't exactly. matter. You could play whatever you wanted. And exactly. the modern version of that was just a shift over to that, that they opened up the license to be more modern, and Rifts mm-hmm. came born of that. Um, so again, you, you you have those systems that are, uh, you know, that are out there to be universal systems of grab bag of hair, to take the parts that you want. Um, and I think that's where we kind of kid into uh, Knox's thing of... Uh, of kit bashing that we had talked about before, where you grab parts and mm-hmm. pieces that you need, not necessarily the whole system, you know, but enough of the system to get the job done. Right, right. I mean the 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 main the main problem with with mixing and matching your systems like that though um, is that a lot of times your system is built to only accommodate the world that it was written for. I agree. So like Seven C, mm-hmm. I mean you're a huge Seven C fan. That's, 100%. that's that's your bread and butter right there. But could you imagine running Using the seven C rules for anything other than Thea, a few things, but they're very specific. But they're very specific. They're very exactly. specific. And now is that's that is because I estimate because mm-hmm. there are certain game systems that are just intrinsic to the world of Thea, mm-hmm. like the like the, the 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 national sort of bloodline magic, yep, and such like that that yeah. wouldn't really translate unless you've got some sort of direct analog to that in the game world you're trying to represent exactly because the the way that they designed not only the magic system but the combat system and the balance of the combat system for its reason again it is not a murder system it is a cripple system um with dramatic wounds and things like that death is not something you go to you Mm -hmm. go to an unconscious state because of what it is um and the way that you play is very high and and mighty. You're you're not your chances of loss are very low. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of failure is low in the game in the way that it's designed. Um, but yeah, the the magic system is a great example that yeah you could take the magic system and turn it on its head a little bit and use it for and I'm going to say this something like Avatar. Mm-hmm. You technically could do that. But you're you would be stripping whole elements out of the out of the system yeah. to make that work exactly, um, or altering them heavily the wording that they use within those systems. So it would be very kit bashy in that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would play very well in in an avatar, and I'm I'm talking avatar as in Aang avatar, not as in as in the skin. last Airbender, correct. Yeah. Um, but I think it would fit in that. Um, and I think you could do that very well because it still fits within that bloodline design mm-hmm. um, and you could do something. Sure. Um, uh, but uh, to, to to try and put that toward another world, although the feel would be there, I think you'd be having to strip a lot out of it Yeah. to get to where it is. And you'd be bringing it to a baseline system. And at that point, the question comes in, do you move to a different system that's even simpler because you've just stripped it down to its basics exactly if you're doing so much editing at that point then maybe that's not the system for you you know um but that that actually brings up an interesting interesting thing then you know talking about the uh which ones are system specific and Mm -hmm. which ones become more generic and what the you know the sort of pros and cons of those are so we talked about 7c um i would say dresden files Mm -hmm. is pretty is pretty setting intrinsic simply because it is uh, so much of it is based around representing the book world of Jim Butcher's Dresden Files books. Um, Star Wars, that game system, really yeah. kind of difficult to get around uh, to get around the game mechanics. You can't really pull Jedi out of that, yeah, and Force and you know things like that. Um, Call of Cthulhu, I would dare say, 
intrinsic to its setting. Um, simply because you again your your characters are so fragile. Like mm-hmm. I think if you wanted to play like a generic survival horror, you could probably use Cthulhu about that. But the the Eldritch stuff is so mixed into it, you know. Yeah. Um, that again, I would find it difficult and awkward to get around that. Um, my own favorite, the Aeonverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be um, uh, Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trinity and Aberrant, um, especially like uh, Adventure's inspiration mechanic, mm-hmm. doesn't really work in a world that doesn't have inspired characters in it. Like, it's the mechanic they use to explain why in an otherwise normal world, you've got these pulp heroes that, like, co- amazing coincidence just kind of happens to benefit... And physics just kind of looks at him and goes, eh, seems legit. But I think if you're trying to tell, like, an Indiana Jones story, it fits. You, you Or could. a mummy story. But but I submit to you, you don't even need to go outside of the world of adventure to tell those stories. I 100% agree. Those stories fit very well inside the world of adventure. Right. But it comes down to flavor. Uh, sure. Knox makes a point. Two different narrators on the same story uh, could have very different feels and energy. And oh, I would absolutely. agree. For instance, the idea of the mummy mm-hmm. as a storyline can be definitely done in adventure without question just as easily it could be done in dread yeah it could very different stories very different feel mm-hmm. both systems would work very fluidly in it but it's two different storytelling styles and two different very very different play styles for those players uh-huh you know if i want to be very adventurous and have have a possible win out of this i would definitely want to go with the adventure game pulp heroes or survival horror correct is what it comes down to yeah. right so, are you getting picked off by the mummy one by one in the shadows, or are you triumphant and out there fighting for the good fight, you know? Right, exactly. Tune in next time. <laughs> right. So a lot of it has to do with, uh, in the choices that you make, um, a lot of those things, but I think one thing that we're kind of leaving off of uh, stepping into any of these is how much effort and energy do you as a storyteller have to throw at this? And right now, especially because we are we are at a time where we're all kind of pulled in multiple directions, mm-hmm. um, we're low on energy. So you want to make sure you incorporate that into your thoughts about doing something. Don't overextend yourself and try and do something crazy. It may take you months to design something for a system, and you could run out of energy before you even get to your story. Exactly. And, you know, and when you're trying to kind of like shoehorn something in like that, mm-hmm. it tends to... You'll, you'll find that it becomes very cumbersome very quickly, yeah. prone to errata, because there's that one rule on page 157 you didn't notice, yeah, and it utterly breaks your game, mm-hmm. because you thought you could just use this game system for your setting, and now... Yeah, and the more finite your your players are about the rules that they need to be comfortable, mm-hmm. to know what to do, so that maybe they're not constantly questioning and and having to answer things and be on the spot they want to just listen to the story as it unfolds should help determine what kind of system you present as options Mm -hmm. you know and i I think that's a huge thing i think that's why a lot of people go to D &D is because it is very response driven where it's like okay you're in this instance it's either i roll initiative or i roll a skill check yeah sure so i don't i i as a player if I'm tired and don't want to do anything, it's a good system to just be like, I'm going to respond with dice. Yeah. Whereas if I'm playing something like City of Mist mm-hmm. or um, or Urban Shadows or one of those games, I have to present a lot more discussion. I have you to do. be involved as a player you do. and come up with things on my feet. And that's draining. Um, they're very social games. Exceptionally. No, they're very thoughtful. Yeah. And, and with the right group and with the right levels of energy, you can have amazing stories, but you have to be prepared for that outlay. Yeah. yeah. And and that really does change it out. And knowing that as a storyteller and being able to present that to your players as saying, okay, well, how comfortable are you guys doing it with this way? Because this rule set will, you know, here's the pros and cons behind this rule system. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you're going to be asking a lot of me? Yeah. I'd really just like to enjoy this story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's let's roll it back a different way then. Sure. Sure. You know. Uh, it's it's worth talking about the the the, uh, the generic systems that are out there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, because these this is actually where these generic systems uh, excel. I would agree. Um, so when you are trying to just, 
I had this weird idea for this world that's in a floating crystal above an ocean of pure magic and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I go from there. Like, okay, well, I don't know what the hell you're doing with that. Where, how do you represent that? You've got a handful of generic systems that are just there to pick up that for you. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of it comes back down to how finite do you need it to be yep. for those players. Yep. And so I think generic systems pick up that slack of not giving you the burden of having to read every rule of every detail. You just have to say, here's the system. And as, you know, as we need it, we'll grab component, you know, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the components of it. But technically, the system just works. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so you've got GURPS. Uh, which actually stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. Yes. Um, you've got Palladium, like you said, was was written as a generic fantasy setting. Uh, but based off, but but off of there, you've got a lot of modern settings. You've got futuristic settings mm-hmm. like Rifts and mm-hmm. After the Bomb that got yep. written in. Uh, so there's a wide range you can tell with Palladium. Yeah. Um, Very finite game again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a lot of, like, uh, there's Ninjas and Super Spies, mm-hmm. you've got Heroes Unlimited, so you can go uh, multiple different genres, mm-hmm. mix and match, because they're all compatible. And I, I honestly say, um, if you have players who are not very, who who want to be part of your story, mm-hmm. but don't necessarily know how to create a character, or maybe aren't feeling as creative about doing it, it is very friendly at helping you make a character. Yeah, sure. Exceptionally friendly at that. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it takes eight hours. I, I agree, but at the same time, like <laughs> but, if you're drawing, if, if you're trying to draw information out of a person, but now but, they don't yeah. have to answer those questions. You will, you will have every every angstrom of your character written out for you if you want to. If you want to, yes. So. Um, fate. Fate is another great one. We just yep. spotlighted that the other day. Yep. Um, uh, a week or two ago. Uh, and that is a great generic system that is not setting, uh, setting specific. And it's very flexible because it's not a very numbers heavy system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can kind of make your own world along the way, make your own characters in the world and just kind of describe them in words. And those actually function as game mechanics. So yeah, it, it definitely makes it, um, rules light. Mm hmm. Um, it lends itself to a more heroic design and and yep. lead up um, because again you're not dealing with finite damage and and death mechanics. There's no mm-hmm. hit point system per se within fate directly. Right. right. Um, so in that sense, it kind of follows that heroic feel uh, and gives you that that edge of the story. So if you were going to do something that was more of I want to cheer my heroes on. Um, I want to allow them the freedom to be able to be expressive uh, in their character design because they have these ideas um, because maybe the system is based on maybe your world design and story is actually based on some something uh, contemporary. You know, maybe you guys are doing something, I don't know, sparkly vampire ish and you have ideas for who you want your characters to be. Or maybe you're trying to mimic another story or or, uh, world. It makes it very easy for them to just come up with words to describe the things that their characters are mm-hmm. and then fit it into the system versus searching through pages and pages of system design that Palladium would have for something that fits what their character is. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Uh, and one other system, too, that um, that I was I was kind of uh, was kind of sitting in the back of my head and uh, I believe it or not, don't know a whole hell of a lot, but I've heard its name dropped a handful of times uh, is the hero system. Oh God! And that is the game system that powers the champ, the game champions. Champions, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a. I don't even think I've ever played in Hero slash Champions. Uh, the most recent edition was published in 2010. Um, okay, so it's it's. I've I've definitely seen the books. I've handled them. I think I may even have made a character for a game, but it never went off the ground. Yeah, the only um, the only superhero ish game that I've ever played has been Aberrant. So yeah, it's, I've just never crossed paths with it. But I, whenever we get into these sort of discussions and stuff of like that, um, uh, it's it's occasionally dropped out there. Yeah, uh, talking about the hero system for champions. You know, I'm gonna flat out say it. Uh, throw if anybody has feelings or notations about heroes, uh, throw it into the discussion. You guys have been doing a great job about it. Let's talk about it as a system because again, it's something we're not very familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. But, tell I mean, tell us your experience with the hero system up on up on Discord yeah. uh, or tweet it at us at, yeah. at st underscore conclave. If you and Twitter. likewise, if you guys are interested in us talking about the system or doing a dive on it and don't know anything about it but are interested, let us know. We'll go do some digging. Hell, we'll learn it. Yeah, uh, that's, I would love to. You yeah, know? and and we've actually talked about getting into some of these systems and running like one shots that are recorded and edited so that you guys can get a feel for how those games run. 
Uh, so there, there's some uh, scuttlebot on my side that I might do a City of Mist one shot with uh, a few people. Oh, I'm uh, excited! And uh, do I get to play in that? You would. Okay, good. Naturally, uh, but I would also. <laughs> I'm also probably going to do a little bit of interviewing afterwards so that we can see how the what the system was like and yeah. how it fit the story. I think so, it'd be great. I'm yeah. excited for that. Yeah. So, uh, but th- I think that's a a good spectrum of generic systems that would fit for any story, and I think. They, any of those GURPS, Palladium, Fate, Heroes, all those are are very generic. They don't have systems that sit behind, or don't have worlds that sit behind mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. Palladium does. It's arguable, but uh, because they 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 built some for it. But again, there it's a universal system. Uh, the the only drawback I, I I think about the generic systems is that um, because they are generic, they can feel bland. Um, mm-hmm. there are one, one of the discussions that, uh, that, that Sean and I got into, um, very early on actually in our relationship when we were originally talking about how to represent wheel of time in a game system was that there are a couple things like, like the, the, mm-hmm. the one power, which yep. is what they call their magic system. Um, as well as, uh, they have sword masters okay. and they make this big thing about, uh, uh, various sword masters out there, and they've got all these different moves, like boar rushing down the mountain, and cat, you know, uh, cat on uh, walks across the yard, and heron waiting in the rushes are all these like positions, these martial arts moves and stuff like that that they do. Right, that right, they right. Move through these forms, and in the books they're described. They're not even described like in in physical forms of like he struck him with his sword, or he did this, or danced out of the way. There, it's like. He went into boar rushes down the mountain and moved into cat waiting in the uh, in the treetops and moved into a heron waiting in the rushes and then a downward uh, a, a downward you know uh, tornado or something like that. Why do I, why am I hearing uh, Princess Bride? Oh, I see. You're using Capifera. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I it, found out that Tibble c- cancels out Capifera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you know, know. <laughs> you must expect that I studied my Agrippa. <laughs> exactly. Um, which I have. <laughs> but again, I, I think that also leads to 7C has those kind of things as well. Well, exactly, exactly. And that's kind of what I what I got talking to him was uh, about uh, the um, the different applications of, 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 you know, these game mechanics and stuff like that. We were originally talking about, you know, how to represent these things. And one of his gripes was that he didn't feel like what he had, you know, uh, various systems felt like Wheel of Time. Hmm. And how do you, you know, how do you get that feeling of Wheel of Time, you know? How do you have a character playing a swordmaster feel like a swordmaster? And originally, my my contention to him was that you don't need to feel like a swordmaster. Just give him some bonuses to combat. and It comes down to roleplay. Yeah, and it comes down to roleplay after that. Um, but to a certain extent, and I, I, I think he's right with this... Um, is that, yeah, you can represent it through roleplay, but how much are you depending on your character to roleplay that? And how much are you depending on the setting and the rules to take that burden off of the player and make them feel like a swordmaster? Right. You know? I think that, uh, to a degree, well, and this is where I'm going to say, like, 7C fills that gap in for kit bashing, in that. If you were trying to make a swordmaster, 7C sword system is literally by system, and the attacks are unique to each one of those groups. And believe it or not, that's actually what I brought up with him recently as I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? You might actually want to run this in, in, in 7C. Yeah, because it 100%. Sword mastery and magic are the unique things about your world. That's pretty much it right there. Other than They're... that, you've got dramatic dramatis personae moving through this, you know. Yep. I mean, it's blood magic in the sense of what it's signed, but that just means it's it's fit to a certain people, so it, it takes care of it as far as the mathematical stuff to make right. the character fit uh, and be balanced. So but, after that, it's a matter of, okay, well, which do I remove whole schools of magic and focus and rewrite a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, so, your generic, the, the, the point being, your yeah. generic systems won't have these inherent things in them. And therefore can make it feel a little flavorless, like you're just going through the motions with a with a bland blank palette trying to tell a story off of it. Yeah. So if you're not if you're not prepared to have an existing world with existing feel that either your players are very very comfortable with, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to present a lot of data to yeah. them about the world, um, or or make sure that they have reference material to help them create their characters, mm-hmm. um, in that sense. 
Uh, so then you've got kind of a middle ground too. Mm-hmm. You've got semi-generic systems, I would call them. I, I don't know if that's, I don't, it's, it's not really a term, you know, I mean, it's like, it's not really like an industry term, but I, it's what well, I'm just calling them sort of semi-generic systems. But like, I think D&D is a semi-generic system. Well, D20 definitely would fit under generic, but really D20 is D20 fantasy. Yeah, I mean, which is D and D. D twenties, D twenties, kind of the watered down generic version of it. But like, I think D and D in and of itself, like yeah. the actual product Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, right, is is a, is a semi generic system because mm-hmm. whereas it's designed to play, um, sure they've got their flagship things like Forgotten Realms or you know right. Dark Sun or whatever Ravenloft, whatever you want to do, yeah, sure. Um, you can really use it for any swords and sorcery style game. I can honestly say that I've ran custom ones. Pretty much every time I've ran, it's very, it's far and few between that I've actually mm-hmm. picked a module and ran a module in D and D. Yeah, I've yeah. played in them, but I just don't typically run them. Sean runs a lot of Faerun stuff. Um, I'm running my Elder Scrolls system out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so right, right there. But I'm I think the difference is, is that D and D does a good job of giving you within the data mm-hmm. who you are. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which there's a whole other discussion to be made about is. <laughs> I'm going to say it because I think it's appropriate and it's a discussion that we need to have at one point is D&D racist because they basically turned whole cultures in by race. Yeah, yeah. There's there's actually been a lot of buzz about that lately. Yeah, and we're not going to get into that, but I'm I'm going to say. But suffice to say, they're addressing that. Right. That but at the same time, it makes it easy. Yeah, it does. Like, oh, I want to pray a brutish character from the mountains you know, who drinks. It's tropey. It's yeah. It's very tropey. You know, it, you, you can basically say within three, cl- you know, three races Oh, you're going to you play a barbarian? Right. Okay. Okay. You so know. do you want to be a short barbarian, a tall barbarian, or an angry, uh, monstery looking barbarian? Right. Oh, uh, I guess I'll be the angry Mario. Okay. So you're going to play an orc, you mm-hmm. know, or a troll, you know, kind of a thing. And, and that's where those kind of things. And then you've got, uh, so it, it does already give you all those flavors mm-hmm. because you're getting something that most of the systems, the generic systems don't necessarily give you, which is a reason why the the class or race or something is because it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, so we've got a couple other, a couple other uh, semi-generic systems like, oh, urban, yeah, I think, I think Urban Shadows. Oh, definitely. Because you're, you're again being given a class that denotes who you are a mm-hmm. little bit. It gives you a flavor so you don't have to think as far. But part of that is you do your world building during character creation. And 100%, so yeah. you figure out where your character's place in that world is, who your character is, and what that world even is. Yeah. You know, so you, you don't necessarily, there there is no real, like, setting for Urban Shadows. No, but at the same time, if I'm sitting at an Urban Shadows game and someone else is telling me about a different Urban Shadows game... There are certain assertions that you know to be true. I can I can follow it because I know the classes. Exactly. So, like, our D&D worlds may, be very, may vary drastically, but when you say, so my monk went like this, yep. I know what you're talking about. You know? Yeah, and if something goes off, I can say, is that a house rule? Oh, yeah, we made a house rule for X. Right. You know, and that's, I think that's where some engineering systems come in is because it makes it easier to move, uh, properties mm-hmm. with just a little bit of ease. Champions does a decent job of that, I would say as mm-hmm. well, um, in the, uh, in the sense that it gives you a, a much more, uh, defined class and, yeah. and reason. Yes. Um, and makes it easy for you to be able to tell story to story. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you're you're a comic book character. Yeah, exactly. Um, versus setting specific. Yeah, exactly. Like we've talked about Seven C, we've talked about Dresden, we've talked about Star Wars, we've talked about Call of Cthulhu, Aeon, World of Darkness, Shadowrun. Oh yeah, God, World of Darkness is very specific. Like I can't yeah. even imagine where like Bloodpool and humanity and disciplines and stuff of like that would even fit in a game other than Vampire the Masquerade. Right, you know? or even Shadowrun to a degree, but at the same time, it's a cyberpunk game. You could tell another cyberpunk story in a Shadowrun world because you are given such a hard setting you you could but here's my only contention with that is that you'd have to rip half the book out um because shadowrun setting is so unique in the in the fact that um uh, you've got uh all the 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 unexplained genetic expression uge mm-hmm. uh where you've got uh you know the orcs and trolls and Elves and dwarves and sure. all that jazz have, have come back. Right. Magic has come back. Right. Spirits and elementals and dragons and vampires are all very much a thing in the setting. Mm-hmm. But 
underneath all that, it's a cyberpunk setting. Right. So I think if you were going to just try to use Shadowrun to represent, like, Oh, just a generic, like, Cyberpunk 2077 or something sure. like that. You would have to rip half the Shadowrun book out because all the stuff with the magic and all the stuff with the orcs and the trolls and everything like that, you couldn't use that. You could use the Matrix stuff. You could use the cybernetic stuff. Mm-hmm. But really? Are, are is If you're ripping half of the book out, is Shadowrun really your best move to represent that? Or and, do you want to reach for something like Cyberpunk 2077? And here's my counter to that. And, and while my faces were being made over here as you're going through that, uh-huh. is that my first thought was, if I'm a storyteller, but I'm not good at RPGs, but all of my players know Shadowrun, could I affect my story to fit it because my players need something very mechanical oh, that's if, functional? If your players are a bunch of Shadowrun junkies, absolutely. I can use tell Shadowrun. a love story. I can do a damsel in distress yeah. story in Shadowrun yeah. and make it work flawlessly. I mean, play, play to your crowd, man. I mean, that, right. that's, that's that's thing number one is is you know your starting point. At that point, then yep. your starting point isn't what's what game system should I use to tell my story. It's my players all love Shadowrun. Obviously, we're going to be playing Shadowrun. Just now, what am I going to do with it? Right. And the thing is, is that it. Uh, the other thing that Shadowrun would give you is if you're running a plot that's long, mm-hmm. that's involved, that has little bits and heartbeats in it, which a lot of a lot of Shadowrun, a lot of storytellers who use Shadowrun use, it gives you an out every time. Mm-hmm. You automatically have, <laughs> effectively, a trash quest waiting for you <laughs> at every turn. So when you do plot beats like, hey, I'm going to, um, I, I, you know, I need a, 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 a session zero. I need a milk run. Guess mm-hmm. what? Shadowrun's default milk run is the easiest thing to, to roll out right there. Yeah. Go get this. Come back. There's no plot. But you can put a seed in there for your players and figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. Your next episode can be another run that also includes some character and other plot pieces to it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe your third one is just a straight-up run again because they just need to do that. But if your characters are very grindy and they need a lot of adventure and excitement, it is effectively a reason to dungeon crawl every other campaign or maybe three in a row without a lot of plot coming through and just feeding them the slow plot. And then eventually they're like, hey, wait a second, we've got this money and stuff. We don't need to run right now. You know, we'll do this one last run and then we're out, you know, to go do these other things. And they come back to the Johnson to get paid and he's dead. Mm-hmm. Like the room's been gunned down and he's literally in pieces. And the last thing on his screen is a hack. And now they're like, oh, no. You know, something got found out. Yeah. So that's where plots can can break away from what the default of the universe is and still be able to tell a story. But give a story, give a storyteller an easy system to work with. And I think that's that's the beauty of some of those systems. Star Wars would do the same kind of thing to a degree. It gives you an existing world setting to be able to tell a comfortable story within mm-hmm. that you have an idea for. There's nothing to say that... I mean, Star Wars started from a, a space opera. Yeah. About a young boy discovering what he... Dis, you know, discovering through his life who he is. Right? There's nothing to say that you can't tell multiple stories in the universe, and we've seen it. So, it, if you don't have world building, there's a world built for you. Yeah. History that goes on for centuries. That is, you know, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it gives you those kinds of things. I think 7C does the same thing in, in the sense that it has a lot of rich history that's all over a map, but it's a set amount of time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, first edition gave you a timeline of history and you could attach it to your own. So it, it gives you that out as a storyteller of like, what do I need to know that's going on in the world? Well, I know all these people are involved. Okay. How about this happens? How would the world react around it? How am I going to do this? Who is this person to play in that world? Mm-hmm. And it gives you outs. It gives you other things that they could be doing. The other players. And it helps you as a storyteller with a framework. All right, we're going to leave off on uh, just remembering that you referred to Shadowrun as an easy system to work with, and we're going to go uh, take some questions. (laughs) I'll remember that. (sighs) So Knox asks, (laughs) how how do you feel about giving players temporary items that work like randomizers in order to spice up sessions? For example, 
In Relics and Rarities, every session, the players are allowed to choose from a random item, usually magical, from their home base curio shop, which is theirs only for that session. Since that sh- uh, since that show and its session are episodic, it's easier to control this time and allotment. How would something like this work for a more open story arc, and could it? Um, I think it could work for a more open story arc. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's a really cool thing mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, Deborah Ann Wall was doing with, uh, with Relics and Rarities. Um, yeah. Um, I, I remember, uh, Overwatch telling me about one of his games where he literally had a shop that existed in every dimension, in every timeline, in every major city. Except Beirut 1984. Exactly. And it had everything then. Like, literally everything was there. You could find the Spear of Destiny, which, in fact, they needed to find for a specific thing, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so in that, I think it comes down to the storyteller defining limitation. Yeah, yeah. I I, I would submit to you that uh, your use of the word random is spurious. Mm. Uh, I don't think if, if it were me... Nothing in that shop would be random. No. And it would all be accounted for. Mm-hmm. And I think if you looked behind my DM screen, you would see, uh, you know, this is in the room, and this is the difficulty class for solving this particular puzzle. And if the character has chosen one of these tools, they can use it in this way. Right. If they've chosen this tool, they can use it in this way. And if they chose it in this tool, it explodes. Right. Dealing 1d4 damage. Yeah. And I, I would say I agree. I think that any situation could call for anything. And it comes down to, again, your... Uh, your level of acceptance as a storyteller to your player's success. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the system has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there there is also to be said, um, I, I don't like this particular realm of chaos in my games. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I know there's a lot of storytellers who do kind of thrive on chaos. And so they may throw random things in there and just uh, say, like, if your if your characters use this in a creative way, let them have it. Right. You know, and I've literally seen encounters written up like this. Like yep. there is no correct solution to this to this particular problem or puzzle. It, let your characters mess around with it for a little bit, and whoever comes up with something you think is cre- sufficiently creative, let it work and move on. Yeah, and and to your point, Knox, it's it's random because you don't know what it's going to what its uses are. Right. I right, think that right. is the limiting factor there. Yeah, yeah. So. And and I I think there's something to be said for that, you know, allowing allowing your character's creativity to do things and then just not not having a codified, you know, difficulty or set combination to things that they need to figure out because mm-hmm. it puts that on the it puts it more on the player to figure those things out than it does the character. I agree. Um so yeah, you know, g- giving them the option to just have kind of a a thing you didn't necessarily account for and used in a creative way, I think mm-hmm. there's something to really be said for that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, to you. Uh, so Draven asks the hard hitting question here. This is the one I've been waiting for. What will it take to fill the hole left in Rob's heart from that Gen Con Shadowrun game? <laughs> uh, I will flat out say it. Overwatch has to run a game. That's it. I love his Shadowrun. I love the way he tells stories. I... He loves that system in such a deep way. And the only way it's going to be fixed is literally... I have to go to the cake boss to get a cake to have cake again. Yeah. That's what it is for me. Like, yeah. Y- y- sometimes when you have a very shitty meal of a certain thing that you normally love, you have to go back to what was the best f- time that you've had it mm-hmm. and try and have it from there. And if that place is closed... Maybe just won't Maybe enjoy just it. Scratch that one off the list. Yeah. yeah. So I'm willing to wait for that because uh, uh, he's a master at it as far as I'm concerned because he loves the system. I, I had the privilege of playing in, I think, one session. Yeah. One and session. I don't think we ever picked it back up, but no. uh, uh, I will I will use this platform to shamelessly whore myself out. <laughs> Overwatch, I know you're listening. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if you are running one. Yep. You have two players sitting right here. You're <laughs> Nox says, your name is now Cake Boss. <laughs> I don't know if I could change that in the Discord. That could be interesting. Anyways. Uh, so let's go to Overwatch. Let's get so his the, question. So the, the Cake Boss asks. <laughs> yeah. 
What is an RPG trope subversion that you've come across that you really liked? Uh, can you think of one that missed the mark? Now, this one stumped us initially because we were really trying did. to we were trying to think about what Overwatch meant by RPG trope subversion. We str- we straight up had a twenty minute discussion before the podcast about this very question, which we think is a great question. Don't get us wrong; it's a fantastic question. But we, we but dug- I was having a devil of a time coming up with an answer for it, though, is the problem. Yeah, and so. Um, we kind of hit it. I hit it with one angle, and Sarah hit it with a different angle, and we're gonna we're talk about both of them, because um, like the first thing that came to mind when we were discussing it was mm-hmm. the whole idea of like, okay, you know, a, a, a trope would be like the damsel in distress, and a subversion of that would be where you find out that the damsel's not in distress. A good example of this, if you've played Skyrim and you know about the quest, um, we have spoilers. Uh, there's a quest where you have to go rescue, where a farmer asks you to rescue his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and, she's gone missing please find yeah, her yeah and these bandits probably have something to do with it and you go there to find out that she is the the leader of the bandits and she does not want to go home so um, that is fantastic Overwatch <laughs> I'm not even going to say it's fantastic what you wrote um, but uh, the the idea is, is that it puts the trope on the head she doesn't want to be rescued in fact she left because it was a shitty situation and it's an RPG, and so I would say that is definitely a RPG trope subversion mm-hmm. that I thought was kind of unique. I thought yeah. it was neat. Um, but as far as uh, other things, like, I started thinking of it as RPG trope as in the RPG itself. Like, is Hackmaster a trope subversion? And really, it's an amalgamation of everything that we talk about as far as systems that we don't like, and it turned it into a system, and therefore turned it into basically a numbers game that is almost impossible to play. Right, like, like they tried um, to lampoon Dungeons & Dragons and ended up just making this horrible game they, system. They made, they made a ridiculous GURPS version of it that is just ridiculous, and it takes you nine minutes to go through all the charts. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of people who love that system because they mm-hmm. love Hackmaster from where it came from. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, there are other elements of that. Um, I think one of the ones that I really like is 7C. Mm-hmm. Uh, 7C does a good job of kit bashing history and fantasy and um, and movies and cramming it into a story. And one of them, again, spoiler alert, um, the uh, king of Castillo uh, and his brother um, were left over after the, the father passed. And instead of holding the crown, uh, he left. He was actually ran out because they were going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And in hopes to save his people, he went missing. Uh, well, in fact, he ended up uh, being put in prison on an island um, and silenced. Uh, and while there, broke free with a bunch of other prisoners and became a pirate king. Now, he could have returned and retaken the crown, but he also realized the threat there and that his brother had not taken the crown completely because he's waiting for him to return Mm -hmm. so there was a really interesting knife edge of like okay do i return and possibly risk my family or do i let him be a semi-puppet and still have control over his people a little bit while he waits for me to return and so there was that weird kind of story going on there but it wasn't your typical kind of lost family member mm-hmm. nor was it your typical like we have to go rescue the king cuz he's actually in this prison somewhere and when we bring him back life will be great no it was it was kind of a weird spin on its own head and it yeah. was fun it, it was different um you had one earlier that you thought was really good uh no, I think what I realized in answering this question um, is it caused me to do some introspection on what my favorite things were, what my tro- what my favorite tropes were, okay, and look for you know where those tropes were subverted. And honestly, um, all of my favorite things in all of the stories I've been told have been the tropes themselves. Interesting, not the subversions of them, but the tropes in all their full glory. Hmm. Um, I think it's one of the reasons I love adventure so much. Is because oh. the game is nothing but tropes. Yeah. No, it, it, I would definitely say that it is an exceptional case of quality tropes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the hand-picked, 100% genuine, organic trope. Exactly. You know? exactly. Right off the vine. Exactly. Like, you <laughs> smile when you look at it. You know, uh-huh. it's a quality pun, you know, yeah. <laughs> being delivered deliberately like like you, the, the, the plot reveals in in adventure games are like of course there are nazi zombies on the dark side of the moon of course there are like yes. why would there not be yeah. you know <laughs> no I, I think that's i think that's legitimate and i think that's a good way of saying it the real question is is what what missed the mark uh i i don't know 
I don't know, because uh, you had said Xanathar was good. Oh, yeah, Z- the Xanathar. Um, I, I, no, mind you, I don't, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about him. Um, I'm sure if, uh, if, if Sean is in the live chat right now, he can maybe, like, throw me a, a, a quick, uh, quick lore dump. But, um, the Xanathar is a, uh, is, is a, a fixture in Forgotten Realms, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in the city of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, for those of you who play the Dungeons and Dragons uh, Fifth Edition uh, setting, um, he is the the Xanathar from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, the expansion book. Right, uh, and he is a beholder, but he's a member of society. Right, but he's basically a crime boss in or or, or, or some sort of some sort of crime boss. He's but he's a he's a fixture in society. He's Which a is high not society something member. That, that beholders are. Yeah, beholders are like horrible monsters from another dimension that have dreamed themselves into existence uh, and live in the Underdark and vaporize people with their many eye-tentacle ray beams. Right. And this guy is like a guy. Like, he's become a fixture in society. And an, and, and an important one at that. Um, he's insane and very paranoid, uh, Sean says. Well, but I, I still say that he, he fits a societal contract. I mean, sure, sure. He's insane and very paranoid, but he's at least, he's, he's at least fits the societal contract and exists. And like adventurers haven't hunted him down and killed him is what I'm saying. You know, like, I mean, there's people who probably don't like him. But there's people who probably also don't like other people. Sure, you know. <laughs> sure, and like in in our Waterdeep Dragon Heist game, we were we were we, we came into some uh some shop and they had a little plushie of of the Xanathar <laughs> in there that my character tried to buy because oh, it was that's ad- fantastic, adorable. Like oh, she yeah. had ten gold to her name and was like, I don't need swords or magic items or armor. I want that f- plushie. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's I'm sorry. That's our one f bomb for the uh, <laughs> for the show. I apologize for that. Um, Sorry, iTunes. But uh, I think that's one that makes the mark well. Yeah, because I think, I think it makes it, the mark well. It pauses it's... you, and you kind of look at it and go, "How did that happen? How? Wait, you're that's a, a story thing? I kind of want to hear." You know, like I made orcs in my game uh, noble and mm-hmm. and and very honorific and uh, almost paladin like, whereas the humans kind of weren't. But mm-hmm. they've been around a lot longer and built a whole society and, uh, upon, upon that, you know, righteous injusticeness, you know, justifiedness. Um, and so that did kind of turn that trope on its head, but that's only because D&D does a great job of making orcs terrible people um, in almost everything they do. So uh, I think that um, it's hard to say what missed the mark because I don't think about them. I think there are places that definitely have missed the mark because they went for the subversion hard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it just didn't work. It was it was either so much of a mirror that it was painful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're like, oh, you you're you're the anti damsel, like the actual anti damsel. Great. Yeah. That that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it was expected. Sorry. Right. You know, um, you, you've created your own trope. Um. Uh, I'm gonna screw it up just because because I love saying it the wrong way. Uh, Drizzit Durden, because um, <laughs> I love doing that. Or Drizzt's. Dr- Come on, Drizzt, so many names. Drizzt Durden. Yeah, uh, is literally a trope yeah. of his people. He he's the oh, but I'm the good one. Trope, right. You know. Uh, so I would say not a failure because he's a trope. Yeah. Like legitimately. Yeah. So um, I I think that kind of a thing is where you kind of worry about where. Uh, you could say that it missed the mark, but at the same time, like, no, it, it did exactly what it was intended to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, all right. All right, let's move, let's move on. Uh, uh, Technolich, do you want to hit that one? Yeah, Technolich. Okay, so if you were to distill it down to one element. Hydrogen. What is absolutely required to make an RPG session amazing? I know what my answer is. I want to hear yours first. Uh, okay, so I still have, like, four minutes that I can do this on. Um. I'm thinking more like two or three, because I want to talk to you. I'm going to say enjoyment. <laughs> as long as your players enjoy themselves, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. Um, it doesn't matter if the dice rolled well. It doesn't matter if anything else. If the players enjoyed the story and the game, you could do anything. It could be a dungeon crawl. It could be just them sitting around in a pub. It could be, you know, playing on a Jenga tower. They could all be scared. But if it's enjoyable, if the moment is enjoyable moment to moment, and they all leave with smiles, you've, you've done it right. So I think the element for me is enjoyment. 
And that enjoyment can come in a lot of flavors, and you really got to know your players to know if they're enjoying it or not. Um, but it, the, you don't want boredom at the table. You want them to hear the story and feel the story. Um, there was a great line that came out of a uh, um, a singer, and I, I, I don't even think she was the original one to say it, but she said, um, if a song doesn't move you to tears, mm -hmm. it hasn't completed its goal. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you're crying about the, the disparity of the song or, or that it's saying, but it's it's moving you. Mm -hmm. It's giving you something. If a story doesn't do that, yeah. if, you're, if your game doesn't do that, whether it brings you to joyful tears or laughter or, or a, a scary moment at the end, you're enjoying yourself. You're, you're looking at your players and you're seeing that joy. You, that's it. The yeah. game's great. That was actually going to be my answer, okay. um, and, and it, I, I think it's probably probably the same answer as yours, but just worded a little bit differently. Go for it. I was go I was going to say human connection. Yeah, um, I I think it's it's it definitely comes down to um, uh, to enjoyment at the end of the day. You are one hundred percent correct about mm -hmm. some of my 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 cheesiest games. You know that I didn't think really moved the like. Uh, remember that game we had um, in. Our campaign, my campaign, um, where you were just traveling on the road and you hit like a, a handful of inns on your way to yeah. Kvatch. Yeah. Battle of the Bards. Battle of the Bards. I mean, how great of a game was that? It was fantastic. And we had a great you, time. What did you guys accomplish? Nothing. You traveled three days and stopped at a couple inns. Yep. You know, but everybody had such a great time because no. of the activities that were kind of along the way. Exactly. The character interaction that got to happen along the way and stuff yep. like that. And everybody walked away with that. Um so I, I definitely want to piggyback on your answer and say that is a great answer, and that's correct. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say mine's more the human connection, okay. um, because I think, for me at least, I, I think one of the main reasons we play role-playing games, like, I, I think you can get you can get enjoyment out of things like video games and movies. Sure. But those are not interactive media in, in the sense that they don't interact back with you. Video game, you interact with it. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't interact back to you mm -hmm. in a sense. It's just a a thing that's showing you things. Sure. And you and you derive your own your own reaction to that. Sure. But I think having that connection where you're interacting with a story and you're playing a role. I mean, it's all about a role playing game, you know, and having that moment where you. You're telling a fictitious story of make-believe around a table with your friends, and you have that moment where you truly feel something. You lose yourself in the character and in the moment. You can feel yourself there. and You, you, feel, ha you feel their happiness or their sadness or their despair. Concern. And... Or, or, or their triumph. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you have those moments. I think that's what it's really all about to me. And I think the moment you have those moments, even if that character, like you said, is sitting there crying at the table... Mm -hmm. you've moved them to tears. Mm -hmm. Isn't that like, and, and assuming those tears aren't coming from like you triggered a traumatic memory, you know, but, True. but like, honestly, this moment in character is so sad that it moved me to tears. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking back to those, uh, those episodes of critical role where they had a, a funeral for, for one of the dead characters. Yeah. No, you know? I, I think those kind of things are, are definitely, I, I, I would say the same thing as like, I've seen where, People have had parties after successes. Yeah. And the party is almost more than whatever they did. Yeah. Because people showed up and they're like, oh my God, these NPCs are here and I remember them, you know, and it's like, we're having, we're basically just in an inn kind of a thing. Right. You know, but it's, it, it's that aftermath and that there, there's the joy of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and with like my, my 7C games, bringing in people that you know, other NPCs that you know, and watching you as players play with these people, knowing that you're having, remembering joy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it is building, rebuilding those memories, bringing them back up. All right. I think that's a great place to leave it off for the I night. Agree. Um, so our next week's topic is going to be about uh, managing the little things, uh, food, water, encumbrance, uh, all that little micromanagement. Does it and stuff matter? Like that. Does it really matter? And I don't know. How can we, how can we all make it work? So right. you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore conclave up on Instagram at ST underscore conclave. Uh, you can listen to us live. Uh, thank you for those of you who are doing that right now. Oh, God, yes. And uh, you can, if you are not, if you're listening to the little recording of this, you can find us on mixlr.com slash storyteller-conclave. And that's every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Uh, also, uh, join our Discord. You Please. can find it up on our website at storyteller-conclave.blueberry.net. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.net. We'd like to give a special thanks out to all our Patreon members, specifically Knox in a Box, Sam, and the Arcane Asylum. We thank you so much for all the support and help that you guys give us every month uh, and continue. We love having you guys on the channel, chatting with us every week, uh, as well as contributing to our our, <laughs> our shows here. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. Uh, you can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com or on Google Music. Our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks and i want to give a big shout out to our families as always vicky and sean thank you for supporting us all of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years and played these great games and you every single one of our listeners we love you so much we love you stay safe good night good night